Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast for our review of round 13 of the season at Monza. I'm Abby and to help me dissect this weekend is James and Grace who is finally back on the podcast scene. But before we get into the motorsport weekend, we'd like to take a few moments to remember Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II who sadly passed away on Thursday at Balmoral at age 96 after ruling Britain for 70 years. Thanks, Abby. It is a it's a very somber uh, weekend in a way for, for for everyone for the UK and the Commonwealth uh, and indeed the world, I guess. Um, I just want to take a few moments as well as per Abby said, just to pay tribute to to Her Late Majesty uh, and just to for our internationalists explain a little bit why the UK and the Commonwealth has effectively stopped for the last ten days or for the next ten days, should I say, till the funeral. Uh, she ruled for, as Abby said, seventy years. She's our longest ever reigning monarch. And from a motorsport perspective, she touched quite a lot. Uh, she was friends and I believe knighted Sir Jackie Stewart. She knighted Sir Lewis Hamilton. She awarded an, uh, an OBE to Christian Horner, a CBE to Ron Dennis, and opened the McLaren Technology Center in 2004. And that's just barely scratching the surface of her motorsports engagements. She also ruled with a, a real civility, decency, humility, uh, and a way, in, in my view, which is a bit like a, a Leonardo da Vinci type character. One person in history who you never see the like of again or anyone ever similar ever again. And that's why the nation is so sad, why everyone is struggling to come to terms with it. My family have only ever, only ever known Queen Elizabeth on the throne. And it's, a, it's very strange to think that someone who, who personified Britain for so many years and, and, and I guess to wrap up would be her greatest gift to not just the monarchy, but to all, all democratic leaders was the ideology that uh, you are not my servants, I serve you. And that is why she was so loved. She took her job so seriously. And two days before she died, she was seeing out her, her, her 14th prime minister and welcoming her 15th into office as per, as per standard protocol that goes back a thousand years. She, was, she worked right till the end. And that, to me, is why she will never, ever be topped. No one ever like her will come along again. And her legacy is very, very much set. So, rest in peace, Your Majesty, and God save the King. That was a lovely a bit, tribute, James. choked up. That was lovely. It was. And it was also great to see the teams this weekend having her name and her life from 1926 to 2022 on their cars some had it on the nose of the cars and some had it on the halos as well i think this weekend made me realize how much she impacted not even just the commonwealth but just around the world because 
we obviously have her as our queen and she was our leader. But like to see Ferrari and like Red Bull countries not even in the Commonwealth, but be so moved and so touched by it. And like all the drivers posting tributes that weren't British or even in the Commonwealth. I think it made me realise how important she was because I always obviously appreciated her, but I think so many other people did. And it's just lovely to see because she was such an amazing woman. Yeah, she was. I mean, the other other thing I I meant to say as well, but uh, didn't, was uh, I didn't meet the Queen, unfortunately, but I was lucky enough to see her in person. Um, It'll come as no surprise to either yourself, uh, Abby, or you, Grace, that I was a bit of a goody two-shoes in school. And uh, we were invited, about three or four of us, down to London to, I think it was St Paul's Cathedral, for a service with Her Majesty uh, present. But we were right at the very back of the cathedral, to right across into the side, so there was no way we were ever going to be able to see her in person. She did start to greet people, but uh, she was the Queen, so she could only stay for a few minutes greeting everybody. Um, but even at that age, I could see, I, I knew the importance of the person I was meeting, and you could see the smile on the face and how interested she was in everybody who was there. And that for me is what she was like. She just, it didn't matter if you worked in, if you worked in a, in a fish factory or something like that, or you worked uh, as a leader, as a, as a leader of a country, she would give you exactly the same amount of time and exactly the same kind of, uh, time of day. Uh, that, that for me is what she was like. Just such a powerful woman. And for me, just the, uh, just the very, uh, essence of female empowerment as well. I think she did a lot for women's rights. For sure. She did. She was an inspiration to everyone that she was queen of. But moving on from the tribute to the queen, it was obviously the Italian Grand Prix this weekend in Monza. All eyes were on Red Bull, whether they'd still continue to be dominant. Ferrari, whether they could catch Red Bull at all at their home race. Obviously, the Tifosi were there in the grandstands. Loads and loads of Tifosi. But also... Mercedes, whether they would do well, and Alpine, because whilst Alpine have kind of secured fourth in the championship, they were looking to be quick this weekend. However, that didn't exactly plan out in their favour. So, let's kick off our race review by giving our race ratings at the beginning. James, what's your race rating of the Italian Grand Prix 2022? Uh, it's a tale of two halves for me, so I'm actually going to give it a, uh, a 6.5. It was going to be higher than that. Unfortunately, the slightly, uh, should we say, challenging scenes at the end involving the safety car uh, were a bit farcical, so it lowers the score for me, I'm afraid, quite dramatically. Grace, what about you? Do you agree with James, or is yours slightly higher? Oh, I agree with the tale of two halves. I will say the start, maybe, maybe the first two thirds of the race eight and a half wasn't much going on but it did feel exciting there was lots of overtakes even though there was a DRS train the DRS train was getting interrupted signs Hamilton Gasly Ricard it was great and then they just kind of shot themselves in the foot with the way it ended so I'm gonna give it a six an eight for the start a four for the end I'm gonna give it a seven because I didn't like the ending that was questionable. We all know that. I think we're in agreement. But I liked the atmosphere during the race. I liked the pre-race show. 
And there were some very, very good battles and some particular drivers who I thought made it an entertaining race. There were some slightly boring parts with the DRS train, as Grace said, but there were some entertaining parts as well. So obviously a weekend starts with free practice. Grace, do you want to talk us through some what happened in free practice? Didn't watch it. Okay, was James, did you? I watched FP3. Uh, I've, yeah, I watched some of practices. I did watch some practice. It did look like we think that Red Bull did have the speed initially on raw pace. What became very apparent during the free practice sessions was that Red Bull were running a slightly, how, a slightly higher downforce um, setup than Ferrari were because they were focusing more on the race than on qualifying. What also became apparent that it wasn't Charles Leclerc who was the fastest Ferrari. It was Carlos Sainz, which was so frustrating for him because he was going to be starting at the back of the grid. So the, I mean, the other uh, aspects that were looking interesting for the weekend was uh, the return of Daniel Ricciardo because he was on Lando Norris's pace from the get-go. So exciting. I was, when I tuned into a free practice, I was buzzing. I was so happy. It was good to see two McLarens up there for sure, wasn't it? But we were also expecting Alpine to have some pace. But if even from free practice, it became apparent that wasn't quite going to be the case, particularly when Ocon had a grid penalty to take, although not as severe as other drivers on the grid. Uh, and then also we had Nick DeFries make his debut for Aston Martin in FP1. Only then to be told on Saturday over his morning coffee that he would no longer be doing Aston Martin and F1 TV duties. And he needed to hurry his backside down to Williams because he was going to be replacing Alex Albon, who unfortunately uh, got confirmed appendicitis. So we do wish Alex Alexander Albon well and hope he recovers. Yeah, I can't imagine being in... Nick DeVries' shoes on that Saturday morning, being in the press pen and being with Aston Martin and then being told, right, now you've got to hop into the Williams and drive for us for this weekend. But we will get on to his performance later, but he did an excellent job. But yes, Albon, we wish you a speedy recovery. And also, one thing that happened in FP2 was that Schumacher caused a red flag because he had a power drop-off. Now, the Haas is a better card this year than it has been previously, but obviously it's not one of the best. But that is not the first incident or retirement from a session that we will see this weekend. So in FP3, like James said, Ferrari were looking particularly fast, which is a good thing because it is their home race. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us were rooting for Leclerc or Science or a Ferrari win. And with Ricardo, it would have been great if he could have replicated Monza from 2021 but unfortunately the curse think, yeah other the things happened yeah we'll get into the curse and the car the car just is not the same as it was last year it's nowhere near the third fastest car oh god no we came into Monza last year and it was like one of them could get it whereas this time I was like we'd be lucky for a top five well obviously you can overtake uh, Monza so qualifying isn't as important as it was last weekend in Zandvoort but it, it was an interesting qualifying. So in Q1, obviously, we had Nick DeVries for Williams. And we also had Stroll, who had never been knocked out of Q1 at Monza. He'd never been knocked out at Q1 at Monza. That, sadly, came to an end this weekend. We also had Magnussen getting some track limits. And then DeVries also had some track limits. But out in Q1 was Schumacher, Magnussen, Stroll, Vettel, and Latifi. 
Is any of that surprising to you guys? Was there any driver where you were like, you should have got through to Q2? Or was that pretty standard? For me, Latifi, if Latifi was out, De Vries, who had not driven that Williams at all over the weekend, should also have been out. The fact he was able to get through to Q2 comfortably and beat his, t- and beat his experienced teammate of the last year, if I'm honest, does not bode well for Latifi for the rest of the season. He is now under major pressure to keep that seat, not just for next year. I think, that's, I think that ship has sailed. It's a question now whether he can keep his seat for the rest of the season. Because if I was Williams and I was looking at the performance of De Vries, even in qualifying alone, I'd want him in that car. No words. It was just shocking, to be perfectly honest. I thought we'd see both Williams out, both Aston Martins and one Haas. I did not think that we'd see Williams out of Q, like into Q2. And if I did, I was like, maybe Latifi, because he's had an okay qualifying this season. But De Vries was a real shock, a good shock. And I don't think anyone doubted him, but the situation he was put in where he was put in the car that day and was driving around the day previously in a completely different setup, it's it's mighty impressive. And I think if people weren't looking at him properly now, they will be. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, what was shocking was that Ricardo actually made it through to Q2 because he's only been in Q3 for five of this year's races and the last two he didn't qualify very highly but I was very glad as a McLaren fan as you all know I that he got through I was just about to say I watched him not get into Q2 last weekend live and it was heartbreaking I um, am not a McLaren fan anymore guys just what a surprise I'm still a Red Bull fan so sorry guys but yeah it was just really nice to see Ricardo do well and yeah it just made me happy because Monza last year was so good it was it was but for Q2 obviously Ricardo got through into Q3 which was very happy Sonoda he didn't set a time because he was receiving a back of the grid penalty we did see De Vries lock up which wasn't that I wasn't surprised at that considering it was his first time in the Williams but we also saw Ocon fail to get into Q3 which was the first time in four races that Alonso's outqualified Ocon the old man's finding his form again Alonso's the one of the is the very one of the very few old men who still yeah you can definitely you can't teach an old an old dog new tricks but they never forget the tricks that they learn for sure when it comes to Fernando Alonso um but Danny Rick, it was brilliant to see him get through. And Nick DeFries, I mean, he was he was on track to get into Q3. That's the remarkable thing. When he had that uh, that lockup, what was it? The, the is it the Ferrante de Rogio? I believe that's the corner I he locked so. up at. Yeah. Um, he was t- just over two tenths, heading towards three tenths clear of the time to get into Q3. That's remarkable. And it, I did and he not had, know that. It was amazing. He 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 went into that sector. He cleared the first sector, and he was he was on track to get into Q three, and then he locked up, and then that was gone, which is really unfortunate for him. But as we as we'll see when he gets to the race, his pace was there. And can I also say, as a McLaren fan, um, I am wearing my McLaren colours today. I am wearing one of their tops. Thank you very much, McLaren. Um, It was great to see two McLarens back in Q three. It was, it was vital. The team needs it to try and beat out. I mean, they're not going to beat Alpine. They could probably get close. I don't think they'll beat them, but it was brilliant to see them back up there. And Ocon, Ocon wasn't really anywhere this weekend because he, I mean, he had engine penalties to take as well, but he just didn't really, 
I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a setup problem or something like that. He just did not have the pace to to keep up with Alonso or with the McLaren. He didn't. He didn't. So Q, Q2, it was Sonoda, Joe, De Vries, Bottas and Ocon that were out. And then into Q3, we saw Leclerc put it on pole. He just pipped Verstappen, who qualified P2, followed by Sainz, Perez, Hamilton, Russell, Norris, Ricardo, Gasly and Alonso. However, that all changed for the starting grid because there were a lot of penalties this weekend. We saw Verstappen and Ocon take five-place penalties. Perez took a 10-place penalty. Bottas, Schumacher and Magnussen, 15-place penalties. And Hamilton, Science and Sonoda took back-of-the-grid penalties. Can I just add that I love how qualifying finished and no one knew the starting order until, like, half an hour later if that maybe even longer that was just it was so entertaining because I was like oh, it looks like Ricardo could be in the top six maybe and then I was like oh my god he's on the second row like it was great it was so funny but yeah if that doesn't show you how out of place the grid was for today then I don't know what else will I mean the problem is it's the second time in two weeks that it's happened no four weeks that it's happened because Spa that we had the same problem as well nine drivers out of 20 taking grid penalties um the problem is that these hybrid engines are not reliable enough in order to do the rule where you have to stick to, I believe, is it three engines is the regulations now? Is it five? Three, three engines. Three ICUs, I think, yeah. Three ICUs. So these car, these engines are not reliable enough, but we need to find a way that still stops the top teams from just pummeling in new ICUs every every weekend. Um, it's, it, it is, a, it, don't get me wrong, it is fun, it is great fun to see sometimes, but going to the point now where qualifying is almost immaterial because you'll just get bumped up later by what you do. So I think Formula 1 needs to look at it, but I'm not sure what the answer is. So I don't know what you guys think about that. If that's just me being an old man. You're not being an old man at all. I think I think we're at a stage in the sport now, and it's been like this for a while with like the Mercedes dominance, that it doesn't matter what they do, they'll still dominate. And we've got it now with Red Bull and I guess Ferrari and even Mercedes today, which we'll get onto, was surprisingly quicker than everyone else. Like midfield, whereas I thought they'd be quite a bit slower, but they weren't. And they can just take a back of the grid and get up to the front. And I think you just, what's the point? Like if you're like Alpine or Alphatari, what is what is the point in even racing if they're going to pummel through? Like, it sounds really ridiculous, but it's really disheartening. And I also don't agree with the rule that the first one sends you to the back or 10th place and then the next one's 5th place. It should be the other way around. The first new engine you take is a small one. If you keep getting new engines, you need to get sent further back because once you've taken that one hit, you might as well just take every other hit because you know you can get through. I just think the way they've done it is really bizarre. Yeah, and I think for Hamilton, Mercedes is still trying to fix the damage that his incident with Alonso at Spa caused, which was why he was forced to take one this weekend. But it it may, it was, the starting grid was very confusing. I think um, David Croft tried to figure it out on Sky Sports. And then we had the official release. So it was Leclerc on pole with Russell joining him on the front row followed by both McLarens on the second row. Then Gasly, Alonso, Verstappen, De Vries, Joe and Latifi rounding out the top 10. 
and then Vettel, Stroll, Perez, Ocon, Bottas, Magnussen, Schumacher, Sainz, Hamilton, Sonoda. So, getting into the race, we had the actually we had the national anthem at the beginning. Now, did whoever, we? Though? Did we? I was going to say, whoever watched Sky Sports, there were some audio issues, so we couldn't actually hear Andrea Bocelli sing the national anthem. But I'm still going to ask you two for your ratings. From what you could visually see, not here, but visually see. I, visually, I thought it was quite a good national anthem. Uh, the Air Force uh, overhead. Um, Andrea Bocelli centre stage, very understated. For that, I would probably give it a, a, a seven or eight visual. Uh, Audio-wise, I can't because I just didn't hear it. Visually, it was okay. wasn't my favourite. Bocelli's a, an amazing guy. He's very talented. Would have been nice to see and hear some of that talent. Audio, I actually think I heard the planes go overhead more than the actual singing. So yeah, zero out of ten. Maybe a one because the silence for the Queen before it was quite nice. Yeah, I do like how Formula One and Sky Sports remembered and honoured Queen Elizabeth II this weekend with some minute silences and everything on the car and that. But Andrea Bocelli is a great singer. I think the National Anthem had the potential to be perhaps one of the best this season that we would have seen. Um, But obviously, due to technical issues, it didn't. So I might give it a two because I feel like I like Andrea Bocelli and I like Italy. So I'm going to give it a two. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We're getting into the race. Grace, do you want to talk us through... The chaotic opening laps of Formula One, which were actually less chaotic than the feeder series earlier this morning. So I was just astonished by the start because like Leclerc got a good start, Russell got a good start, Ricardo got a good start. And I was like, what? At first I forgot which way round the two McLarens were because you couldn't quite see the numbers. And I was like oh god Danny you're on second row and then you do this and I was like oh wait a minute that's Lando and yeah I think was it an issue with his launch or something but 
he had yeah, his launch map start. his launch map code was incorrect or something like that it was a yeah. technical problem it was just it was really strange and like literally everyone drove around him i think he fell back to seventh or sixth and then the top three were just Leclerc, Russell, Ricardo, and then of course you've got Verstappen making up two places by the time you get to like the third corner. It was ridiculous. And then he was into third by like second or third lap. I should know. I did the race review, but yeah, it it was just a testament to Verstappen's talent and primarily how good that Red Bull is. And I think they chose the right. Hide height slightly higher downforce for race weekend race pace because it worked and he got up and passed second place Russell quite quickly and the hunt for Charles Leclerc was just not hard at all and I think was it by lap ten he might have got into first I'm not sure um, maybe lap fifteen because Charles pitted under the safety car and he was gifted the first place. But yeah, oh, safety car. Oh my gosh, clearly haven't done one of these in a while. Safety car. Vettel stopped on track, so there was a virtual safety car and Ferrari took a cheap pit stop. Yeah, so Vettel did sadly retire. I think it was on lap 11 and then Leclerc pitted on lap 12 for the mediums and he came out ahead of Ricardo in third. Just prior to that, lap 8, Perez pitted for hard tyres. Oh God, yeah, oh my God. Goodness, I'm so sorry, guys. (laughs) Yeah, Perez pitted because of overheating brakes and a flat spot, I think. So Red Bull pulled him in to put him on hard tyres. And we saw Red Bull strategy last weekend. Like, even though we were, I I was questioning it. I was like, why are you putting Perez in? At the time, I didn't know that he had a flat spot. But at the time, it was definitely the right call. And then... When he came out of the pits, it was still blood smoking. It was awful. I thought he was going to have to... It was on okay. fire, Grace. It was literally fire coming up the coming up the sides. I thought I thought his I thought his day was was done. I thought his, um, I thought his race was, was over. The radio, he was like, "There is a bit of fire," and they were like, "Keep going." Uh, it was very, very bizarre, but seemed to get it under control because he did okay. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously, Betu retired, which was sad to see. He didn't have a particularly good weekend, qualifying out in Q one, and then out within the first 11 laps of the race. Additionally sad because it was Monza, home of him and Toro Rosso's first win. First and only win because they got their second as Alfa Tauri. So, yeah, it's quite sad because it was it's an end of an era. I also thought that Aston Martin's weekend as a whole was quite lacklustre. Uh, they just didn't have any pace. Uh, they, they qualified right at the back, both cars out in Q1. And both cars were out by the midpoint of the afternoon. I think but I think they need to they'll go back to Silverstone now and really analyze where their race went wrong and where their season's gone. Because it's been a it's been a it's been a terrible few races for them now. We say lackluster, I didn't even realise that Stroll had retired until like the last few laps. I was like really confused because it wasn't like a big deal it's not like a fast team has had to retire it's just oh Aston Martin again which is really sad because when it was back in the day as like Force Indian Racing Point they had some seasons where they were quick and race winners and podium sitters and it's not like Lance Stroll and Vettel are rubbish drivers like they're both well Vettel's incredible Stroll's decent they're not gonna not want points so 
it's obviously just really bad technical issues. And if Williams keep going okay, they might overtake them. Yeah, definitely. But for science, he did start obviously with the penalty, but by lap 10, he had gained 11 places. And then there was a battle between Hamilton versus Alonso. Alonso, I think, said over the radio at one point he had an issue with deployment, which is not good for him. But I was a bit like, okay, maybe he won't be very like aggressive and defend against Hamilton because I did have visions of Spa and the two of them colliding and then being out of the race at Monza, which I did not want to happen. But thankfully, Hamilton managed to get past safely. And then there were pit stops from the top three. We had Russell pitting onto hards and Verstappen pitting onto mediums. And we had Science pitting onto hards as well. James, what happened after all of these guys started to pit? Uh, Fernando Alonso retired with overheating issues, which brought to an end a bit of a, it was a bit of a sad moment for him because 349 starts, he's now the most, he's the most experienced Grand Prix driver of all time. And that's not really how you want to end a stat like that. So hopefully he can come back to the uh, at the next round in the it's, a Sing- it's Singapore in three weeks, and hopefully he can uh, he can do well. Yeah, definitely. And it was a shame because we did think that Alpine would be quick this weekend, and they have been quite reliable this season. I think they've been one of the most reliable teams. I think for Alonso, he finished in the points consecutively for the previous 10 races I want to say I think it was 10 yeah yeah and not so, just in the points like good finishers yeah and then for him to retire it it wasn't a good thing to see for Alpine I have a bone to pick with you two well specifically James um your favorite driver and your McLaren drivers just before Alonso pitted this reminded me Ricardo is asked to hold Gasly up so that when Norris comes out of his eventual pit stop, he'll be ahead of Gasly. Why can't R- Ricardo, for once, just drive his own race? Like, he was looking quick. He had a good start. He had good pace. He was matching Norris in pace, pretty much. Why can't he just drive for his own race for once? Why does he always have to be doing that? I get it's a team game and I get that he's not going to be with them for much longer, but it really frustrated me. Yeah, that wasn't the nicest thing for McLaren to do to uh, to Ricardo. I was quite surprised at that that call. Um, Lando had pace, but he wouldn't, he needed to come in and, and stop. It feels like his pace wasn't quite on the pace of uh, Gasly and, and Danny Rick, but uh, you, you can't sacrifice one driver for the you know for the benefit of the other sometimes in Formula One. I know Monza's a very fast circuit and it is known as the Templar Speed for good reason. But I'm always a, I'm more a fan of let drivers race. I mean even on, I mean even to be honest on F1 manager, again another plug for it, I apologize. But even on F1 manager I just let my drivers race. I never I never use the command to let someone through because that's just not in racing DNA. You just don't want to see it. I was surprised when McLaren did that because I get that they would want to like maximise the opportunities for Lando and maximise the points that they can get because they need to catch Alpine in the standings. But to, to ask the driver who you're replacing for next season to hold a competitor up because you want to give the other one a chance, 
that's not very sportsmanlike, in my opinion. It's not like, yes, I get you want to help the other one, but at the end of the day, they're at the moment, they're both McLaren drivers. They're both there for the team. Surely you'd want to help both of them not hold one back for a detriment to their race just to let the other one get more points. It's not like any of them are on track for a podium and it's not like Lando's hot in this world championship battle and he really needs all the points he can get. And Ricardo had done a good enough job at holding Gasly up for 30-odd laps. Like, he's going to hold him up, but I don't think it should be for the benefit of the, the team. And I, they did well with Lando. Like, he had a difficult start, but they thought, right, screw it, let's get you going really long, which was quite impressive how far he went on those first tyres. But yeah, they screwed Ricardo again, and... It's like a vicious circle. Like, yeah, he is leaving, but before then, when they decided whether we should, whether they should let him go, he's he's not performing. So we're going to favor Lando, but then favor favoring Lando it will mean he won't perform again. And it's like, how how do you get out of that cycle? It's really hard. So yeah, I'm. I still like McLaren, but I'm like a half fan now because I just like Ricardo. Yeah, he's not performing, but. The way they've done it is shocking. Well, with both McLaren drivers, so lap 36, Norris did pit for stops, but it was a rather slow pit stop, which meant... 5.7, I think, or 5.1, something like that. Yeah, rather slow. I think there was an issue with one of the rear tyres, I believe. So he then came out behind Ricardo and Gasly, and then... At one point, I was watching it, and then Hamilton just sailed past all three of them. And I was like, hang on a minute, where did he come from? It was amazing. It was. James, what did you think of that move by Hamilton? Another example of you can't teach old dog new tricks, but they never forget the tricks they learn. I thought it was a a fantastic piece of uh, overtaking. And uh, to quote Martin Brundle, uh, it looks like Hamilton caught the youngsters napping there, which he did. He saw an opportunity and he snuck right past. And, uh, that just was my de- favourite. Yeah, just demonstrating just why he is, one, a seven-time world champion, uh, and two, even in a car that and a challenging car and a challenging race, he can still pull the odd surprise. Now, after that, we had more pit stops from Leclerc as well. And then Stroll retired on lap 41. Now, we briefly touched upon it, but James, do you just want to talk us through Stroll's retirement, which made Aston Martin's bad weekend go to worse. He came onto the radio and his uh, engineer came onto the radio and says, uh, cool down the car, cool down the car, we have to retire it. And he, and he snuck round very slowly into the pits and pulled in for after, as I said, um, finishing off a very lackluster afternoon for the British, the British team. And I do think Aston Martin have to really examine themselves now and think about what, one, what they want to do, two, what they represent. And three, what direction they're going in from a technical standpoint? Because it's very clear that they are not getting the results they need from this car. They are, but they've been knocked out in Q3 on several races. Now you can hear the frustration in Sebastian Vettel's voice. It's not how you want a four-time world champion, a driver who is universally loved up and down the paddock, to see his final races out either. And uh, as I said in an early podcast, that team has had the personality sucked out of it in the last few years and I think 
that they just needs they, Aston Martin just really need to have a very long debrief and just consider what what their next action is because it needs to be they need to re, they need to really reset for next year. That is a good point about um, Vettel's radio. Like during qualifying, when he is out in Q one and his engineer comes on and says, "Seb, we're out." You can hear the anguish in his voice of being like, why are we out? I thought I put in a good enough lap to get through. So why are we out? And obviously earlier in the season, there was that whole controversy of the green bull because they did bring some upgrades that looked suspiciously like Red Bull's car. Do you think that those upgrades have hindered them? Do you think that for the remaining races of the season that there is any way for them to go up in performance wise? No, um, I think the the, the copycats of because I, I I will still maintain that they copycatted the Red Bull cut the Red the Red Bull design. It's fairly obvious they did that. Um, the FIA have cleared them officially, so we have to. So I have to make that point pretty clear. But um, it's a, it, it, the, the likeness is so obvious. They're a bit like Haas now. They've run out of steam development wise for this season. They need to put all that they need, and then I'm sure they will have done put all their efforts into next year. Obviously, the cost cap means you can only put in a certain number of upgrades. But it, for me, it's just so surprising to see that team struggle struggle for a long time. They had they had a brief bit of uh, genius in Spa, where they where they where they debuted a wing that that was very similar to 2021 regulations. They found a loophole which they were able to to exploit, but they're not developing in the right direction and i can say that as an armchair person <laughs> as an armchair formula one watcher but uh, but i think i don't think there's a way back for them no i'm thinking maybe did they get muddled at the start of the year with like the direction they wanted to take the car because obviously they see the red bull Ooh, let's copycat it and maybe because i mean mercedes were muddled with their side pods at the start of the year so a lot of teams and maybe they just haven't found the direction they wanted to go with the car and all all ideas now just seem a bit pointless i will say this though stroll looked quite good last weekend like i don't know what it was he he looked quite comfortable in the car and the only other person who i saw really at one was Verstappen. he looked amazing like you could just it was weird you could tell it was him without even seeing the number and Stroll looked incredibly comfortable and he did look like he was gaining on his teammates a lot so yeah Aston Martin need to get their act together because I had a lot of hope for this team and it's just not worked for them before his retirement during the Italian Grand Prix Stroll was the only classified finisher this season but sadly he is not anymore after this weekend moving on after that we saw Schumacher versus Latifi they had a battle over three corners and then there was there's been a DRS train throughout this Grand Prix which we kind of anticipated would happen but there was De Vries and Joe now De Vries was in front but Joe was behind and he was within DRS range but then De Vries managed to pull out of DRS because Max lapped them both, which disrupted the chain. And De Vries managed to just perform an excellent race. What do you guys think? Because we all know that Latifi's career, well, Latifi's seat for next year is unconfirmed at the moment for Williams. Do you think De Vries is in with a shot given that his performance during today's race, especially since he was saying like, my shoulders hurt and I've been a bit 
bruised and banged around in the car. I think there's no doubt he's a good driver. Like, why would he be getting so many FP1s? But I think today just showed everyone how good of a driver he is. And yeah, I think he's done himself all the favours in the world. Because it wasn't when he pulled out of DRS range of Joe, it was when he pulled into DRS range of Pierre Gasly. I was like, this guy is, he's not, he's not let the race get to him. He's not been overwhelmed. And I remember at the start of the race, I think it was Crofty, he said that he was doing really well in the DRS train. And I was like, yeah, he is. Like, it's a new thing. It's your first race. You're stuck in between McLaren's, AlphaTauri's, typically better cars than yours. And he hung on. He hung on for the whole race. It was incredible. And he did have a few moments with track limits, but he kept it under control. He didn't get a five-second time penalty. He listened to what his team were telling him and they did a really good job. So yeah, I think Latifi should be scared. Unfortunately, people have very short memories, I find, not just in Formula One, but in general. And it's worth and, and it's worth remembering that Nick DeFries in Formula Two won that title in dominant fashion. In the it same way insane. that in, in the same way that Charles Leclerc did, in the same way that George Russell did, in the same way that Oscar Piastri did, in the same way that Pierre Gasly did. These, these are dry. I, I class Nick DeFries in the same category as, as, as those guys. And there's a reason that he is for, a Formula E champion. He's a quick driver, and it is criminal that he never got a Formula One drive. So I really hope that next year he gets that opportunity and takes that Williams seat because this is just a reminder of just, just, just the, the class and also just how quick he is. We, people forget it. And in today's race, he ran more laps in the top nine of the Italian Grand Prix, his first weekend in the Williams, than Latifi has all season. Which I was like, really? Like, wow, that's that's an impressive start, I think, for his F1 debut this weekend to do that beat your teammate who has been in F1 for at least a couple of years it's it's impressive that is a start and a half it's probably killed not for Latifi yeah I was going to say I think that's probably killed Latifi's career for good now in Williams I just don't see how he for me as I've said the battle now for Latifi is to keep his seat for the rest of the season because if I was Jos Capito I would want De Vries alongside Alexander Albon when he recovers in that car because they'll get more points. That would be a good duo. An unstoppable duo, maybe, for the car they're given. They'll drive. We know with those two, they will drive the pants off that car because they'll do whatever they can. I think if they do go with De Vries and Albon next year, it's really exciting for Williams. I'm actually, there's hope for them. Yeah, I think Albon and De Vries would make a good team I think they would both try and maximize the potential of that Williams but the next thing that happened towards the end of the race is very sad for McLaren fans and for those hoping that Monza 2021 would be replicated now there's quite a lot to kind of unpack about this whole situation so James do you just want to talk us through Ricardo's retirement and what happened at that point should we tell the listeners about the curse maybe Okay, Grace, you tell them about the curse. Sorry. And then James. Sorry to interrupt, James. 
Grace, I just, do you want to tell them about the Monza curse that has come about in the previous, in the last couple of years? And then James, you can kick off straight into what actually happened with Ricardo's retirement. So in the last few years, it's spooky that um, whoever has won the previous year will not finish the Italian Grand Prix. So we have Charles Leclerc win in 2019, historic fashion. I think Ferrari had a double DNF the year later. Then Pierre Gasly wins in 2020, much to my happiness. And then he was out of the feature race and had an, I think he was out of the sprint race as well in 2021. And then Ricardo won last year and everyone's like, he's going to DNF, he's going to DNF because the curse is real. And, I, and then I was like, oh, no, he won't. He'll, he'll finish eighth and it'll be great. And he just DNF'd. And as James will tell you why now. So yes, the curse is very much real. On the basis of the curse, then that might mean that we we know one race of Max Verstappen will not finish next season, in theory. Monza 2023. As I said, he'll already have won the championship by then. In the style that they're going, he'll have signed, sealed, delivered. Very true. But it was unfortunate for this to happen. We were all willing him on because he was running P8 to McLaren's line of stern, looking for some good points after the uh, after Alpine struggle for pace across the weekend. And he started to plummet down the order on the timing screens with the radio playing. I've seized the engine. And it looks like we're not sure what happened. It, it looks like some sort of engine failure. Anyway, he stopped uh, on the back straight. And... The team then, so the team told him to stop the car because, of course, the engine had gone. And there was a bit of, I, can't, I don't know how the best way to put this, but there was some indecision on what should happen next. And the safety, it took a while for the safety car to come out. And the, the truck came on to, re- to recover the McLaren. And we were treated to some very interesting scenes as they, as they tried to decide what to do next. So I'm going to let Abby introduce this next bit because she'll do a much far, far better job than I will on it. Yes, so the safety car came out. Now, I think Ricardo parked his car on the Lesmo corners, I believe. I'm not quite up to what the names of the corners actually are, but I believe it was them. I think it was like halfway because when the cars looped around at the start of those corners, he it was the car was still there, so yeah. Yeah, so then they brought the safety car out, but the safety car came out in front of George Russell who wasn't leading the race at that point. Max Verstappen was leading the race, but the safety car came out in front of Russell. And then there were some lapped cars in between. There were some lapped cars in between Verstappen and Leclerc at one point. And as we all know from Abu Dhabi last year, the rules have changed that all lapped cars must unlap themselves. But with the safety car, so there was a lot of discussion about whether it should be a red flag Because there were only a few laps left. And as motorsport fans, you don't want a race ending under a safety car. And as Christian Horn said last year at Abu Dhabi, we only need one racing lap. However, unfortunately, that is not what we got. The race did end under a safety car. And it could have been very dangerous because Ricardo's car was still parked on track. And if you go onto our Twitter, there is a video that Simple Negative shared and it's Ricardo's car being removed by the tractor going backwards whilst the cars are still driving on track with the safety car. Surely that should have been a red flag. 
I I think it should have been a red flag and then you restart the race so you can carry on and actually finish in a racing fashion. I'm interested to know whether you guys agree with me or disagree. I saw the tractor moving when I was watching it and I was like, surely not. I I I thought I must have been seeing things. And it unfortunately reminded me of some other incidents in the past where there's been tractors and horrific crashes. So that was quite scary when I was watching. And secondly, yes, it should have been red flagged because Baku 2021, there was only two laps left and it was red flagged. And it was brilliant the last two laps, best part of the whole race. So I don't know why they didn't red flag it because there was like six laps at least. I'm fully with you, Grace, on all points. It, it just, it reminded me a lot of this. And I know exactly what you're referencing. You're referencing Suzuka 2014. Oh my with God. Yeah. The Japanese Bianchi, Grand Prix, you? Yeah. 2014. It, 2015. Was it 14 or 15? It was 2014. Then these yeah, happened. It and was just, why? Why? What is so urgent that you need to move that now? I think, first of all, should have been a red flag so that they could remove it correctly and have good racing for our entertainment but also for safety reasons like it's a fast track and you you never know when the cars are going slow you never know what could happen like you say all their experienced drivers are not going to do that but it, it just could happen and it's just it's not worth it and it actually really upset me when I saw the video again on Twitter and I was like oh god it, the tractor was moving this is what I can't understand. The VSC was introduced as a result of Joe Bianchi's crash. That's the whole reason the VSC exists. So, I, I we should have red flagged that, Graham. It should have been red flagged. And I'm not talking, and I'm not just talking about from an entertainment standpoint. As you say, that truck was moving backwards. It did have the hallmarks of 2014 written all over it. Yes, the cars were traveling slower, slowly. The as we know, what happens when you hit when you hit one of the back of those trucks? It's just not worth thinking about. So, I really am confused as to why they did that, and I'm also really, really a bit unhappy to be honest as well about how when the when the when the when the race was ending, and they were going to finish behind the safety car because there weren't enough laps to restart the race. They then decided to put safety car ending as Max Verstappen crossed the finish line. I mean, to me, that was. I know F1 has uh, has to make a lot of decisions and it had, they have to make them very, very quickly, but they really have to think of it very carefully about how they come across when they do stuff like this because they come across as incompetent it when this bizarre. happens. It, it's not just bizarre. It, it, it's complete and total ineptitude and incompetence. Yeah, I have to agree. And it's just so incredibly dangerous because, as you said, Grace, these are F1 drivers are... Uh, the top of the sport, they are the elite. But something could go wrong with the car that is out of their control. Debris could be on the track that they hadn't seen. They could suddenly lose control and then hit the crane and the worst could happen. And I think, I know we've got two new race direction directors this year. And I know that they're kind of settling into their role still. This needs to be looked at because, like you said, Baku, there were only a couple of laps left last year and they did red flag it and we did restart. And I think the race today finished at like half three. So with the two hours allowed, that would be two till 4pm. So there was enough time to red flag it and then carry on. And 
that's what you said, James, about them saying safety car ending on the final lap. When I saw that, I did think, oh my God, are they actually going to have a like last lap dash? Because it had that, but they didn't. So that was very confusing as from a viewer because I didn't know what was going on. So yeah. I can't imagine what it was like watching it live because you'd be like so it's so confusing. Like and I know in Baku when there was the red flag, it was because there was debris everywhere. Like Verstappen's car was parked in the middle. But in between those two corners, it's not wide. It's quite narrow. Like when I saw the marshals on the track, I was like, they're quite close. They are close to the cars and for their safety as well. I think this might sound a bit stupid, but Michael Massey would have never done that. He would have red flagged it immediately, I think, because safety and, yeah, entertainment, entertainment and safety. Obviously, safety is first, but come on, that was the safest thing to do. And as we got on to the end of the race now, when there was lots of booing, I originally thought, oh, that's for the race directors. Because it was so poorly done. It was awful. Like, probably the worst end to a Grand Prix I've seen in a while. It definitely wasn't the way that we wanted the Italian Grand Prix to end. Such an iconic Grand Prix to end under a safety car. It was. I mean, the, I mean, the race is finished, but can we take... I just, I just want to take a moment as well just to say just full credit to Max Verstappen in terms of managing a race when you he had a Ferrari with brand new soft tires that should have hunted him down. What was it over what 20 laps he should he should have hunted him? Maybe 15? 20 laps, 20 seconds. 20 laps, 20 seconds. And he all he could do was a tenth of a second yeah. at any given moment in time. He, I he mean, got past 17 seconds and everyone was congratulating him. I was like, wow, that's great. <laughs> exactly. And he, Verstappen was on medium tires. Medium tires and and Leclerc was on softs. I mean, the pace of that Red Bull is beyond ridiculous. I maintain my point that um, Adrian Newey has unlocked something on that Red Bull car that we won't know about for another 10 years. But all the same, it was still a masterclass from from, uh, from Verstappen and Red Bull. Can I just add, like, obviously, and I'm guessing Verstappen has maybe more updates or more fine-tuning or just more work done on his car than maybe, say, Perez is. But he still has to drive that car. And I think the way he's been doing it, it's just been like... It's kind of... It sounds really soppy, but a joy to watch. Like, and when Lewis isn't dominant in the Mercedes, that that was obviously amazing too. But I just get a different sense of Verstappen in this Red Bull right now. It's the same tingle I got when I watched his 2021 Saudi qualifying lap. That obviously didn't go well. But at the start, I had a tingle and I get that now when I watch him drive. He is so incredibly comfortable. It's it's nice. For me, for our slightly older listeners, such as myself, um, it had, uh, for me, Verstappen at the moment has all the hallmarks of vintage early years Schumacher. Because uh, Schumacher would do things such as come back from 15th on the grid to win a Grand Prix. Uh, it, it, you can only do that when you're totally at one with your car, as you say, race a lot like Verstappen and, and as you say, Stroll was as well. It's it when when drivers like that are one with their machinery. It doesn't matter what the competition does; they will win. And for me, Verstappen at the moment is exuding Michael Schumacher-esque. 
qualities and he's only going to get better. That's the interesting thing about it. He's um, only 24. De although he's great and he just started this weekend, he's 27. Like, Verstappen's got years on him and it's just really exciting. Just a side note, I'm not comparing Stroll to Schumacher or Verstappen, but he, he did look comfortable in the car at Zandvoort. And Verstappen's victory today made that his fifth consecutive victory in the five previous races. So obviously, Verstappen won, which wasn't great for Tifosi fans with Ferrari. But Leclerc was on the podium. He did finish P2, followed by Russell in P3. Sainz finished P4. Hamilton, P5. Perez, P6. Norris, P7. Gasly, P8. De Vries, P9. And Joe, P10, which meant that De Vries is the 67th driver to score points on his F1 debut. And he also got voted the people's driver of the day. Hi, I'm Nick De Vries and this is Cut to the Race. Now, who is your driver of the day, guys? Is yours De Vries, like the public voted, or is there someone else? It's De Vries, full stop, 100%. And I've got the feeling that the that you guys will probably say the, the exact same thing, most likely, potentially. Although Abby's looking at looking at the camera saying, maybe not. What <laughs> um, but for me, De Vries just... It wasn't the fact that he... It wasn't just the fact that he came into that car and performed from the off. It's the fact that he came into that, t- into that car, having been sipping his coffee in the morning, thinking he was going to be talking to Will Buxton on F1 TV. Not even in the, in the mental mindset to do a Grand Prix weekend. Turned up, got in the car, qualified. Uh, qualified in Q2, almost made it to Q3, and are finishing the points in the race. As far as an audition goes for a full-time F1 drive, he, he pretty much nailed it. Grace, who's your driver of the day? My driver of the day is a Dutch driver over the age of 23 years old, under the age of 28 years old. Go with that what you will. I, I actually can't choose. They were both incredible Devry maybe because it was his first time, but also you, you can't ignore Max. He was amazing. And also, just a side note, George Russell, I think we haven't really spoken much about him. He did well to keep up because he said he doesn't think he should be on the front row. Front row. He, his car didn't belong there, but he made it work. And George Russell is becoming the type of guy, anyone gets the meme, you'll like my meme, George Russell is the type of guy to get P3 at Monza and people forget they sleep on it. It was it was really good. Yeah, I think there's throughout today's race there are a lot of honourable mentions like Russell, Max, De Vries, Science. But for me, my driver today is Hamilton, which might be a bit cliche because it's Lewis Hamilton and I'm British, and people seem to think that a lot of British fans are Hamilton fans. But he started P19 due to a penalty. And he finished P5. He moved up 14 places, like Science did, but in a worse car because the Mercedes isn't as good as the Ferrari quite yet. And at the end, he had two cars behind him with fresher tyres. And he had damage at one point due to debris. I think it was his wheel arch vibrating. I think Sky pointed it out as well. So for me, Hamilton is my driver of the day. But there are lots of honourable mentions as we've said. Now, Grace, would you like to run us through the Constructors' Championship after today's race? Red Bull, at the end of today, 
are nearly 140 points clear of Ferrari. It's insane. It's, I mean, credit to the car, credit to Adrian Newey. He's created the beast. And I think Max Verstappen's unleashed the beast. Ooh. Um, then Mercedes are on 371 points compared to Ferrari's 406. So I think they've got a decent chance of catching them, potentially. It won't be unheard of. George Russell's been incredibly, incredibly consistent. So I think that they're a, if they wanted to, they have the right mindset and the right tools to do it. We've got Alpine on 125 points in fourth and McLaren on 107. So today looked like it was going to do McLaren loads of favours with two points finishes. Unfortunately, it didn't, but it wouldn't have hurt them. I don't know. That could get more interesting as the season goes on. But what do you guys think about the Alpine McLaren? Who do you think is going to come out on top? Best of the rest? It depends on what happens at the next round in Singapore, in a way, in my view. If Ricardo is able to carry on and give good results, such as the one he had today, barring the, the engine failure, then there's a chance that McLaren can claw this back. If Lando Norris continues to be the one car and battling both Alpines, because both Alpines are usually competitive, then there's no way through. I think, based on consistency, Alpine, because both drivers tend to be a lot more consistent than both McLaren drivers. However, I think there's still enough rounds left of the season that it's unprecedented at the moment. It's hard to give a definitive answer as to like who would come out on top out of them. What is interesting is after those two, we've got Alfa Romeo. They're kind of in a league of their own, sitting in sixth with 52 points. That surprised me because when I think about Alfa Romeo at the moment, they haven't had the best of runs. Like Bottas has consistently retired or finished outside the point. So that's, that's really encouraging for them. Next is a battle I'm quite interested in. Alpha Tauri versus Haas. Only a point separates them with Haas on 34 points, Alpha Tauri on 33. What are we thinking about that? The Haas need to get there if they want to take that place in the Constructors' Championship. They need to have better races than the last couple. Um, my personal view is that they'll sneak the odd, they could sneak the odd point if circumstances allow. But as regular point scorers, the pro- they've got AlphaTauri have Pierre Gasly. Pierre's a proven race winner and he's a proven consistent point scorer. Um, Kevin Magnussen is also pretty good. Don't get me wrong, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. But the car is not up to the standard with which to regularly fight for points and that is their problem you say that about Pierre obviously as a Pierre Gasly fan I love it I appreciate it but I will say he hasn't had the best of runs recently like he has been underperforming shall we say I don't think the AlphaTauri is what it was last year like last year him and Gasly and the AlphaTauri clicked a bit like we're seeing with not to the level of Verstappen and the Red Bull but they clicked it worked well this year, it's not been as impressive. But yeah, Pierre Gasly in an AlphaTauri, Haas aren't going to be resting easy. So yeah, they've got that to deal with. I think AlphaTauri could take it because Sonoda's been a bit more consistent. And Haas, I think people have hopes for Haas, especially Schumacher. And they just, they haven't really been getting it done. 
And then to finish off the list, we've got Aston Martin on 25 points. Again, kind of in a world of their own. If they're having races like they've been having, they're not going to catch AlphaTauri. And then Williams are on six points, which a third of them was earned today by Nick DeVries. So if anyone's employing the drivers next year, just take that stat into consideration. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of close battles, shall we say, between some of the teams for the Constructors' Championship. But obviously, the Drivers' Championship. James, would you like to run us through the top 10 in the Drivers' Championship? I know we can all probably guess who's still number one. We can. I would like, though, to make uh, a quick bit, a quick mention on the bottom end of the table uh, about Nick de Vries. Nick de Vries now stands 20th in the standings. He's the last of the classified drivers. Only Nicholas Latifi and Nico Hulkenberg, a substitute driver, have yet to score points in 2022, which I just think, again, speaks volumes about De Vries' performance this weekend. The top 10 drivers in the F1 driver standings are Valtteri Bottas on 46, Fernando Alonso on 59, Esteban Ocon on 66, then Lando Norris on 88. So we have one McLaren ahead of both uh, Alpines, which is interesting for the constructor. Hopefully that will help the Constructors' Championship going forward. Then there is a gap. So in sixth place is Lewis Hamilton on 168. Carlos Sainz in P5 on 187. P4 is George Russell on 203. Sergio Perez is third on 210. Now take note of this next one. Charles Leclerc is P2 on 219. And then Max Verstappen on 335. Now at the moment, if Perez has another good weekend, there is a really real realistic chance that Perez could overtake uh, Leclerc and Leclerc could find himself in P3 and Red Bull will finish off their conquering year. Uh, technically, George Russell could also do it as well. He's a bit further back, but if Ferrari have another bad weekend or another, or another howler, they're in trouble. They certainly are. And I think in Singapore, I think Max can mathematically win the championship in that over that weekend, which is crazy considering how many races are still left and he could win it this early. So it's it's a very tight battle from P2 down. I think Max has definitely secured the championship this season. Compared to last year, where it went down to the wire, it's it's ridiculous. And I know you say technically, James, I know you said technically George might get it. I think he very well could because he's seven points off Perez, who's nine points off Leclerc. Those, those three aren't separated by much, less than 20 points. And I think if he keeps being consistent and Ferrari keeps being consistently bad that it could very well happen. I did say on a previous podcast, I was looking forward to seeing the scale of the cock-up that Ferrari were going to do in front of the Tifosi. In fairness to them, I don't think they did today. They had um, a minor, co- minor cock-up. Well, what the, what the pit stop with, uh, with the Claire? I see, Just... I, think it, I think it was okay. I don't think that was a problem for them. I thought I thought they reacted at the best time, but yeah. they probably put the wrong tire on. Yeah. Okay, I'll agree with you there. The timing was right, especially for them, considering 
that they probably could have ignored that type. Like, yeah, for Ferrari, it was okay. If Red Bull did that, I'd be ashamed. Yeah, Ferrari, they they didn't... They actually had a good weekend, despite not winning the race. They actually had a good weekend in terms of strategy compared to some previous ones. But Max was the winner at Monza, and he's still leading the championship. So that is all that we have time for for our F1 review. I would just like to mention that the Formula 3 championship ended this weekend and Victor Martins for ART Grand Prix won the FIA Formula 3 championship of 2022 and Prima won the team's championship for Formula 3 as well. And Formula 2, this was the penultimate weekend. They will be back in Abu Dhabi. But Felipe Dragovic secured the championship after an absolutely dominant season in his third campaign in Formula 2. He won on 241 points. But for the team's championship, it is MP Motorsport versus ART and potentially Carlin. So the team's championship is still ongoing. But I would just like to say massive congratulations to Felipe and Victor for winning both your championships and to Max to winning today's race as well. I just want to call out the the fact that both drivers won their title without actually finishing the race. Well, in F3, uh, Victor Martins finished in the pits uh, because there was an incident on the, uh, which shut the race down, uh, causing a red flag. But because they had, what was it? How many time penalties were awarded? I think it was five separate time penalties were awarded out there by the stewards. There were quite a few. Yeah. Which meant that Victor Martins had to wait to find out where he was in relation to that time penalty. So, and then once he finally got the news through, he erupted and it was really lovely to see. And then Felipe Drogovic, uh, he unfortunately, he had a, well, he was out, he, was out, he had a game of a moment. Um, uh, he, he had his, uh, I think his wish, his, was it for his front right wrist wishbone broke and it's in contact with another car. And then Teo Porcher had to come through to, 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 to keep the championship alive but he pushed too hard and he paid the price and uh, just he wasn't able to get up there in time uh, I do love Formula 2 and Formula 3 they are such good races to watch first thing in the morning they're so entertaining watching Drogovic watch to see if he had won was just was really exciting it's like usually you don't see that you see the drivers working and working and he was just he seemed quite chilled about it originally he was like yeah it looks like I'm going to win this it was it was really good. I just want to point out as well, we do have a chat on our Zoom call that we talk to each other whilst but whilst, whilst, whilst we're recording. Um and uh me and Grace have just called out Ollie Behrman uh in F three. He's a rookie and he finished P three in his rookie year, which just tells you I, I think that, that that's a driver to watch, I think, next season. He's a, he's Ferrari Driver Academy. Um I would expect him to be in the top three next year in Formula Three, and he will not be far off from Formula Two personally. And Zane Maloney as well, who finished in the championship second, just above Behrman by two points. He's also a rookie from Barbados who did phenomenal. He's had back-to-back race wins in the last couple of races as well. But that is all we have time for today. James, where can they go to check out all this motor racing news? If you want to have a look at all the latest Formula One news, go to FormulaNerds.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, on our Twitter and on our TikTok. Oh, and also our Facebook page where we do where we have lots of debates and you can find links to all of our articles. 
and we will be back during the week for the news from the nerds podcast james it was great having you here and grace it was great having you back as well it was great to be back honestly i've missed this Listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Sports Social Podcast Network.